what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to posting a deal, I get it done. Welcome to another episode of Coinology, and I'm sitting here with none other than New York Times bestseller, Kimberly Kim Jones. Give it up for y'all. I am too. I have, you know what? It's so funny. You know, we've watched each other's careers over the, you know, the years. Mm -hmm. And the last time I saw you was right before COVID at the NAACP Image Awards, right? When you and I saw each other, it was like a a family reunion. Because I was like, oh my God, somebody I know. I think the other person, we interviewed her a couple of days ago too, Tamara Simmons. Yes. She was also at the NAACP Awards as well. was definitely a reunion. Oh my God. It was amazing to see you and Tam both there. Didn't know Tam was up for um, the NAACP Awards for Surviving R. Kelly. Yes. And you were up for... Um, I was up for my book, um, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, that was nominated in the category for um, Outstanding Literary Work, Youth and Teen. I was going off in the audience. <laughs> I was I'm like... <laughs> no, no, you won because you were there. And I won because they sent me at the table with Kofi. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> it, that room was star-studded, yes. wasn't it? Yes. It was a beautiful... Yeah, everybody. So it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. I was like, oh my gosh, as soon as we got home from the awards then boom COVID was announced literally I think it was like two weeks later and I was just saying I was like God we were out there in the international airports at the NAACP awards and very well could have been risking our lives and they knew it and no one told us no one said anything I mean, I was, you know, it, that makes me still angry. Yeah. And you know what's so funny? I went to another big event after that. So the following week, I went to another big event. So I had been at two back-to-back in two, because I had flown into the Dallas airport <sighs> that time. So back-to-back, I had been at international airports at these huge events. And the event that I was at in Texas, mm-hmm. which is where the first cases were found the week oh, later. Yeah, Texas was off the chain. Yes, Texas was off the chain. I was in that event at, at Texas assigning for young people and they bust in kids from schools all over the metro Dallas area. I think I signed for a thousand kids that day. And that's when they first had started talking about COVID. So what they did was they thought they were helping us. They just put hand sanitizer at all of our signing tables. Mm. So after every sign, I would sanitize and then sign again and sanitize before a thousand kids. Oh my God, your hands were probably raw. Raw. And and went home and was just and then the world shut down. Well and the question like, is this though, Kim, how much do you think they really knew? before they told us? Oh, I think they knew a lot, and I think they knew much longer than before they told us. Mm -hmm. I think the first cases had been identified, and they hadn't maybe decided yet that it was a pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I I think the cases were identified probably back in fall and winter of 2019. My question is, how much do they know right now that they're not telling us? Because, you know, at first the whole focus was on not catching it. Mm-hmm. Then when you caught it, how to survive. Right. But nobody's talking about the long-term effects 
yes. of COVID, right? Yes. So, so I have quite a few friends who are long haulers, right? Like they still have a cough from when they had it in 2020. Wow. Or they're, they have, like, they've identified, like, lesions on their lungs. Yeah, I had a girlfriend went to the hospital and found out she has lesions all over her lungs. And the only thing that they could think is from when she had COVID. Well, let me tell you this. She's lucky to still be alive because yeah. there's a lot of people just dropping dead now and they don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just that, but we're not here to talk about COVID, <laughs> but I just thought, hey, the last time we saw each other, yeah, it, was, it was right before the world shut down. Yeah, and, and I have no idea how many of us went home. Oh COVID my gosh. Well, I tell you what, I was thankful that I came home. But again, like you said, you don't know if you had it or not because you very well could have been asymptomatic. Exactly. Right? So exactly. you have no and idea. right in the house with it. Like, right in the house, like a little sponge. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about it. You are a New York Times best-selling author. How do you do that as a young black girl? <laughs> how do you become a New York Times bestseller? Blessings on blessings on blessings. Okay. On blessings. And it's funny because it really is me making the times is really in a lesson, a lesson in it being your time and you being patient mm -hmm. and you not pocket watching and life clocking somebody else's what? life. What? Yeah, and uh -huh. like when it's supposed to be for you because my book, which was the one that I was nominated for for the Image Award, came out in 2019 and it had kind of like a meteoric rise, right? Like I got to the point you know, where I was in the black with the publisher, I had earned out my mm -hmm. advance. But it, w it definitely wasn't doing the numbers that they had anticipated it was going to do. It definitely wasn't getting the traction or the mainstream publicity that they thought that it was going to garner. But I have to give it to my publisher at the time, um, Sourcebooks, which is a, a female-owned and led publisher out of Chicago. They were committed to trying to make it work. And then about midway through, when about six months after my book came out, they negotiated a deal to be distributed by Penguin Random House. Oh, wow. Yeah, which then expanded our distribution process. But even still with that, like, it was like I was, we, we were selling enough books to make them want to stay in the fight with us, mm -hmm. but it still wasn't getting the success that they thought it was going to get. And then in the summer of 2020, the civil unrest happened, and I stood on a street corner and blacked out. <laughs> I always say the answer. And it went viral. Yeah, and it went super, the video that I dropped went super viral, mega viral. I mean, it was shared millions and millions of I times. Because I think, did you get any awards for that? I know you were everywhere. Yeah, like, no, like, I mean, because like LeBron shared it and Oprah and Madonna and people I, were I know, and me. I kept saying that. I know her. <laughs> when I saw Oprah, I was like, wait a minute Oprah, now. Yeah. I said, I was like, Kim, you got to hook me up. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So let's talk about it. What, what exactly happened? You blacked out and what? What happened? So I made this six-minute video that, to me, to me was my manifesto of a why they owe us reparations and b what it's like, what has happened to us economically uh, in in America to you know hold us back and like what that looks like and what that looks like for real. And the interesting thing about that is because my book I'm Not Dying with You Tonight is a book about two young girls surviving the night in in race riots mm -hmm. and we were in the middle of civil unrest and now this video went viral and I started doing all this high end press like I did the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. You were everywhere. Yeah, I was, you know, Oprah had Oprah showed the clip to the Oprah showed the clip on her town hall because Ava DuVernay was saying she sent it to her and now Ava DuVernay 
Renee and Oprah having this conversation about my video, then people realized I was a writer. And so they went back and found my book. And that's when I made the New York Times. Wow. So wow. the book had been out for a year. So you got the Oprah effect for real. Because they, I, I, they said that well, the back effect. in the day, did you see you watched the Oprah show? <laughs> yes. back, back in the day, if Oprah mentioned your show or yeah. mentioned your book, it was a wrap. It was over. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like between doing that and doing Trevor Noah and I did like Steve Harvey and MSNBC and CNN and and uh, I did BBC News. I did the news in Turkey and Russia and uh, somebody, they they built a 50 meter wall in Ghent, Belgium with all my words from the speech on the wall and like <sighs> all of this stuff. And so people were like, oh, she's a writer. So everybody went and ordered the book and then my book made the New York Times. It's funny. I always say it was like my Lizzo moment because um, Lizzo's song, um, Truth Hurts, I had been listening to that song and went to go see Lizzo in a small club mm -hmm. like a year and a half before that song broke. And everybody was like, I love this song. And I'm like, that song is old. Like, I've been listening <laughs> to that song for like over a year. And mm -hmm. it was like, that was it. It was just the patience of it, of like recognizing the, and, and props to my publisher for staying in the fight with us and being like, no, this book is important and we want to push it. I know your publisher was like, I took a bet on the right one. Yeah. Because it was, is, is your publisher a sister or she's she know she is um she is an immigrant woman okay but yeah she she but she believed in it and she was like we're gonna throw everything at it everything that was within her reach at the time mm -hmm. she would give to us she I mean she put me and Geely on the road she was like listen the mainstream press don't want y'all I'm gonna put y'all in front of y'all audience I'm gonna she she did a high school tour she sent us all over the country talking to high schools and so even then our book caught a wave because I wrote this hood girl, which everybody told me not to do. And Kirkus ripped me a new one mm -hmm. in my, my first trade review. Kirkus ripped it to shreds mm -hmm. and was basically like, this is bad representation of blackness because I wrote a hood girl. But it was like, she was the hero of her story. And I grew up in the hood. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. So I was like, I wanted girls who grew up like me to recognize that hood girls can be heroes too. And I said that in an interview, right? And so they sent me to all these Title I schools and I would get there and little girls, I get misty thinking about it. Little girls will have buttons that said hood girls can be heroes. Too. Oh my God, girl. You about to make me seriously. Seriously, because I, I understand that. Yeah. I understand that. And every little girl, little black girl like you and I, needed to know we could be heroes too. Exactly. Right? Because yeah. I know, I don't know about you, I didn't expect to be sitting here. No, and I didn't expect to be seen in life because the world told me it's like we, um, we, me and my girlfriends that I grew up with have a joke we call our neighborhood hood adjacent. Um, Women, hold on. You need to get a shirt that said hood girls can be heroes. Hey, I was on my website, www.kimjoneswrites.com. Okay, you have it? <laughs> yes. I should have told you to bring me one. Yeah, I'll bring you one. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got a lot of good ones. I have one that says hood girls can be heroes, too. I have one that says um, black girls are the architects of cool. I have one that says hood adjacent. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, those are dope. Those are dope. Dope, dope. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So, tell me, so you're from Chicago. Born and raised. Born and raised. Mom, dad, or single family? How? So, I was raised by my mom and my stepdad. Okay. How was that? My stepdad was the illest. Like, he was so dope. When I mm -hmm. tell you when my stepfather died, I felt like, my st first of all, my stepfather died the day after my birthday. Oof. Yeah. So when my stepdad died, when I tell you I've never experienced that level of brokenheartedness because this is somebody who took me and raised me and I wasn't his kid, mm -hmm. didn't have to do it wasn't responsible for doing it. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's why I get so upset sometimes when I look at some of these conversations we're having and people are like, I'm not going to be taking 
care of no other man's ch- this is the result of taking care of another, another man's, man's child, child. Mm-hmm. what about your real your biological father did you have a relationship with him not really and um my dad died when i was my biological dad died when i was 16. did you go to the funeral i did i was with mm-hmm. him when he took his last breath like i was by his bedside when he took his last breath you know here's what i'll say about my dad and my emotional growth and maturity um my dad, and I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just telling the truth about what the truth is. Mm-hmm. My dad was the victim of lack of options. Like, my dad was the result of what we do, especially back then. What we did to black men to marginalize them, to minimali- minimize their value. And my bro- my father had a drinking problem. My father became an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But he, had a, he became an alcoholic because he was brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was broken in spirit, mm-hmm. and he did the best that he knew how to do with what he had, but it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And so by we, us living in a world in which they exalted my mother, right, my mother and dad worked at the same place, and they kept pushing my mother up, and they kept leaving my father where he was at. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of brothers to say that in corporate America or in jobs in general, black women tend to be... Uh, favored. Yeah. Which is hard for me to understand because black women are the most ignored and non-seen entity on this earth. Yeah. When they started working, they worked for Sears. When they started working, my dad was a security guard Mm -hmm. at Sears at their corporate office. This before they even had the Sears Tower, before the Sears Tower was built. Mm -hmm. And my mother was, worked in the catalog department. She was a picker. She would, you know, the the orders would come in and she would pull the stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, for orders and stuff. By the time they ended their career, my dad was still a security guard. My mother was the VP of graphics and repro graphics. Mm-hmm. Over the course of her career, which is actually my next book that I'm writing, date, my mother got the moniker The Robot Lady. My mother worked with an engineering firm called um, Bell and & Howe, and she programmed uh, robots that delivered the mail in the Sears Tower mm. in 1976. Wow. Right? So my mother was growing, and my father was stuck. Mm-hmm. Especially back then, you're talking the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for my father to be the man in his house when the the distance between his pay and my mother's pay the was that big. Was that big? Because today you see that a lot. Most yeah. women, black women, yeah, that's what you see today. But back then, yeah, it was they they caught the bacon, they brought the bacon in, and you had to cook it. Right, and that was it. So yeah, so my father wasn't was. In, was humiliated in life mm-hmm. honestly and so he had nobody in the world he could take it out on so he took it out on her mm-hmm. and you know he was emotionally abusive to her and when she got tired when I was very little I think I was about two when they got divorced I'm the youngest when she got tired she left and she started a new life and she met my stepdad when I was four and they got married when I was 10 so my life the person that I knew as my dad who raised me was my stepdad even though I, I was close to my dad's family I was but I know that had them. to hurt your biological father yeah for sure yeah for sure and again like again not making excuses for him I'm just telling it for what it is like mm-hmm. it caused him to go inward and feel like well, I, well I, I'm not wanted so let me stay out the way mm-hmm. and it's also an ego thing because I don't know what your stepfather did, but maybe he felt a they little. They all work together, girl. The shade. They all work together. Well, you know what I think about because <laughs> I think about it like this. Okay, do you remember when Diddy? Okay, do y'all remember? I'm trying to remember the story, right? Okay, Misa, the first baby mm-hmm. mama. 
you know, yes. um, Justin's mom. Because yeah. she had went on and got remarried to a new guy and had a whole new family. Yeah. But Diddy, when he showed up to see his son, Justin, he showed up with plethora of gifts for for Justin and all the brothers and sisters. Because Diddy said, I'm not going to show up right. and see other kids and not do for the whole family. But right. it made Misa's then husband feel away like, who can do what Diddy can do like you know and and that can cause an issue too as far as ego Mm -hmm. and things of that nature so i'm sure it also may if you're if you're my stepdad was successful that's what i'm saying it probably was difficult for him to come around yeah oh for sure my stepdad was successful he owned a home he was able to provide vacations for us and this is why i jokingly say the neighborhood i grew up in was hood adjacent and not hood which still doesn't mean I was unaffected by the hood. <laughs> but the neighborhood that I lived in was a little cold, uh, a little cove of middle class black mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. But where we were on 107th and Wallace, if anybody from Chicago, they know where that is in, mm-hmm. Ro- in Roseland. Um, I was we were trapped in by extreme poverty. So we <coughs> had this little cove of like working class, middle class ba- black families, but if you walked in any direction, you were faced with extreme poverty. Oh yeah, you was in the hood and then, like, <coughs> I grew up in the, the 80s and 90s, so we're talking about the height of the crack epidemic oh. where the funny thing about it is if people actually do the research, people talk about the violent crime in Chicago. If you actually go and pull the the actual murder rate number, now versus then, the numbers then were twice as much. I think, to be honest with you, the murder rate back then was twice than it is now. Oh, it was Because when we grew up, it was no freaking joke. And I get what you're saying. And so back then, too, when we grew up, and that's why I tell people, I came from a two-parent working class family, Mm -hmm. you know, never wanted for anything. However... I lived on Shell Road, Shell Road in Hampton, Virginia, if y'all know about that. Same thing as you. So you live in a community where down the street can be a uh, principal, around the corner could be a nurse, next door could be a welfare recipient, Mm -hmm. the one down the street can be, uh, you know, it could be, it it, it was um, in the community in which you lived, African-Americans, they just put all African-Americans together. And I don't know if, people realize that it is a new thing that African-Americans can choose to live in specific neighborhoods. This stuff did not exist like that when we were growing up. No, especially not in Chicago. Systematically, they kept you out, right? Yeah, and remember when King went to Chicago, he said it was the most racist place he had ever been to. Right. He said that coming from the South. Yes systematically and I noticed that and and, and I research it for with you or about you you talk a lot about systematic racism Mm -hmm. and reparations and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because Mm -hmm. I'm on the fence I think that America owes us a lot right (laughs) but I also I'm not sitting back waiting on it so when you say reparations what does that look like to Mm. you realistically I have to let uh, Lisa know that Lisa is our resident Bartender, yes, yes, I'll let her know. But, right with me. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 what does that mean? To you, what does reparations look like? So, for me, reparations doesn't look like a check. Okay, that. So we're on the same page. Yeah. Okay, what does it look like? So, so what it looks is it's a structural problem. So what it looks like is to me for it's for me is structural change. Um, in my in my latest book, um, it's called How We Can Win Race History and Changing the Money Game That's Rigged. I talk about that the era that we teach the least that is the most important is Reconstruction. 
mm-hmm. right? And so when I wanted to study Reconstruction, at first people kept giving me all these books that were people now having their view, and I was like, no, nah, the, the, the literature is the DNA of a society. I want to know what it felt like, the pulse of it then. So I went back and read W.E.B. Du Bois, and I read you know Frederick Douglass and all these people who lived through Reconstruction mm-hmm. area. And what I realized is that's where we almost got it right and then messed it up and got it wrong. And so what we need What to, did we do wrong? Well, first of all, we shut down the Freedmen's Bureau, which was essential. Mm-hmm. And then it was the reversal of the land give, which was also critical. Mm-hmm. And then it was the in- introduction of the Black Codes, which was critical. Mm-hmm. And then the 13th Amendment, which was slavery by a new name. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that people don't... Um, People get mad at me. People try to argue about me that, that that I'm wrong on this. I'm like, I had a team of researchers writing my book. I'm pretty certain I'm correct on mm-hmm. this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that is uh, devastating that we don't know is that after Lincoln had the famous 40 Acres on a Mule conversation with a group of preachers that he went to see, he tried to enact it with General Oliver Howard, which is what Howard University is named after. Mm-hmm. General Oliver Howard was given the Freedmen's Bureau. Now, what they paid, what they gave him for a year to run the Freedmen's Bureau was what they spent in a week on the Civil War. So mm-hmm. they essentially gave him no money to run the Bureau. Mm-hmm. The, the Freedmen's Bureau was supposed to do what the Office of Indian Affairs does for Native people. Mm. It was supposed to be a bureau that was supposed to give us all the things we needed to get back into society, get Mm -hmm. in our feet, because we have been enslaved for centuries. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Wait, isn't that welfare? Well, I'll talk to you about welfare in a second, too, because I got a strong opinion about that. Uh But um, so what they gave him instead was was, uh, a whole lot of acres of land. Mm -hmm. And so the 40 acres that we talk about, that we say that we never got, we got. He started giving them out. Here's the problem. Okay. Well, tell me about it, girl, because I'm wondering where my land at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lincoln gets shot. Okay. This is the first time in history that a Democrat and a Republican ran on the same ticket. Lincoln was a Republican, which mm-hmm. was a party of black people at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and was until MLK flipped the party. Right, exactly. Okay. And, and a so, lot of people don't know that. Right. They think it's... It's a long time ago. That's it's fairly, right. fairly recent. Fairly. Um, um, and so Johnson, who was a Democrat, a mm-hmm. Southern Democrat, mm-hmm. he felt like the people who got the shortest end of the stick were not formerly enslaved people, but in fact poor whites at the hand of the rich planter class. And so in order to make himself feel like the big man, if you were part of the rich planter class and you had been um, you had been a Confederate and you wanted to get back into the Union and you wanted your political seat back in the Union, you had to come get a personal pardon from Johnson. Mm. You had to basically come grovel at mm. his feet. And it made him feel good because he grew up poor mm-hmm. and felt like they were the people who... So when you did that and he let you back into the Union, one thing that he gave you as a gift was 40 acres. Now, where do you think he was going to get the 40 acres from? From us. So he gave our acres to them. So when people say we didn't get our 40 acres, I tell them to stop saying that because that's not as tragic as the truth, which is that we started to get it. Not a lot of people had gotten it yet. It was rolling out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the ones who did get it got it taken back. Damn. So what the Freedmen's Bureau was supposed to do was going to be structural. It was going to affect us in terms of uh, medical care, housing, all of that stuff. That is what we need now when I think of reparations. But I think that... The Bureau, if we create it, 
needs to be run by a committee of black people because also when you look at things like happened what what, the, what happened at the Freedmen's Bank where we got our own banking system but it was all white men who were running it and they ran off and stole what was the tune of 68 million dollars from us and mysteriously the people who ran off and collapsed this bank and said that it it fell apart mysteriously had money to start the American Railroad but that's a whole nother mm, story. But you know what that sounds like history repeating itself when Kanye mentioned just recently about the Black Lives Matter movement that collected millions of dollars, and where is the money today? Right, and my whole, and my whole thing with that is, as much as I understand why he's going for that, I'm like, that's low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. That's low-hanging fruit. Okay, talk to me about this. Because that my whole thing is, and he's from Chicago. We 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 crossed paths back in the day. Okay. Oh, we kind of crossing it, y'all had, girl. Don't tell me. What? All right. We 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 hung in we we hung in close proximity. Did he did he make that purpose. song Gold Digger about you, girl? No, no. We ain't know each other like that. We ain't know each other biblically. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, we weren't friends, you know. Okay, but y'all were in yeah, the same. Yeah, but we, we were. We knew. We knew some of the same people. Like, you know what I'm saying. We had a lot of, you know, friend groups that um, people that I'm still friends with that he was really close with, mm-hmm. and so we had interactions with each other. But we weren't really friends like that. But the, uh, that's why I tell you, Kanye, y'all getting out. That's Kanye. That's not everybody want to be like, oh, after his mama dead, oh, after mm-hmm. this, happened. I'm like, boy, that's him. But he's that a criti- was him but, when but he was 15. He was a critical thinker. Yeah. That, Whether you agree with his output or not he's one that can think outside of the box and outside of the majority my whole thing with Kanye is I don't have to agree with everything that he says to not acknowledge the fact that he has the right to say whatever he wants thank you Thank, like, well, I could that's be in my, complete disagreement with him. I could be like, boy, that's you sound my problem. About dumb. Well, you know what, Kim? My problem is is this whole cancel culture. I oh, feel I'm like me too. I feel like because I don't agree with what you say does not mean that I should silence you. And it is completely against the First Amendment of our U.S. Constitution. I don't understand what is going on today. No, this is like McCarthyism, but remix it is bad but let's go back to kanye Mm -hmm. reparations right Mm -hmm. so why do you feel that the reparations which you speak of which is land and the banking system yeah what is your gripe with the welfare system i actually don't have a gripe with the welfare system you don't no i do i don't have a gripe with the welfare system because here's why i um I personally believe this is my belief. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me be clear about this. I feel like they gave peop- everything, everybody else things that would get them ahead, but they gave us the welfare system that will hold us back. Hold now, you back. That's why I have a problem yeah. with it. Yeah. So between 1926 and 1966, the U.S. government underwrote $200 billion in home lending. 98% of that went to white America. 2% went to everybody else. And when I say everybody else, I mean black, Latin, Asian, Indian, everybody. Mm-hmm. Got 2% of that home lending that was done in suburban communities mm-hmm. where the houses were about nine, ten thousand dollars homes that are now worth a million dollars, half a million dollars. So it built generational wealth on the tax budget of American citizens. And so it set them up to have long-term health. And then we got public housing and stuff that did not allow, That we didn't own it. That we didn't own anything. What, what, what Jay and, say, don't die over the land your mama rent. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So that's my, that's my issue with it is that it was not a pathway 
to uh, ownership in the way in which the underwriting of housing and stuff like that was And they're still doing it. Like, yeah. if you think about early 2000, 2008, what did they do to most, I guess, financially illiterate African-American people? They gave them these arm loans, mm -hmm. start off really low. Predatory loans. Predatory. Right. They put them in homes that they knew that these folks probably could not afford to get in. Mm -hmm. Then when they was good and ready, they went and snatched them back. Yeah. Snatched them back. Yeah. And that's the issue. When I said I don't have an issue with it, what I was saying was when people say things like, some of y'all sitting around waiting on government handouts, and some of y'all rather get government handouts than to get what it is that you want. My issue with that is, ain't none of this shit a handout. It's our fucking money. I mean, when you bought this <laughs> when you bought this glass, you paid a tax on right. it. Right. Lipstick on your lip, you paid a tax on it. The sweater you're wearing, you paid a tax, tax on, on it. it. That watch, you paid a tax, tax on, it. on it. When you got your nails done, when they rung you up, you paid a tax on it. That cup, this mic, my shoes, my underwear, your dress, that necklace. For And I'm, I'm 46 years old. I've been working since I was 16, which means I've been giving the government money for 30 years. years. Yeah. For 30 years. How much money have I given them? How much money have we all given them? And then we crap on people and be like, you want a government handout? How is it a government handout? It's our money. No, motherfucker, I'm going to get some of my money, money back. back. And the other thing is also the reality of it is. I'm sorry, even can you curse on this show? Oh, yeah, you can curse. Girl, yeah, you can curse. I'm a cuss. You can curse. Go on, curse. <laughs> but this is the other thing. The reality of it is most of the hardest working Americans need some additional help. And especially today. How we're living, where we're living, the inflation is off the chain. You know what the sad part is? What is? The money is there. They just don't know how to go get it. The people or? The people. Oh, yeah. The money is there. They just don't know how to go get it. We went yesterday here in Georgia, and we all voted, and we were centered around the Senate race and the government race. Who did everybody vote for for tax commissioner, for agricultural commissioner? Mm-hmm. For who, 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 guess who manages budget? Right. Commissioners. Commissioners. Who manages budget? Mm -hmm. Commissioners. Not your, the executive branch does not manage, let me tell you something. It's two things that's affecting your life. Okay. It's legis legislation and budget. Mm -hmm. We yell all day, every day at the executive branch, which is your governor, your mayor, your president. Guess what they don't do? What? They don't write policy and they don't the manage right. budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so right. you're yelling at the wrong people. Mm -hmm. You're talking to the wrong people. Who's managing budget? Commissioners. Who is writing policy? Your city council, your state house reps, your senators. All of those people are writing policy. All of this money that they're collecting from us, from the eyelashes to the lipstick to the tax we pay out to the tax on your car, who's managing that? And guess what? That budget meeting, you know what it is? Open to the public. I'm not talking about after they put the budget together. I'm talking about as they're putting the budget together. Mm. You can go sit in that meeting. And you know what I do when I go to those meetings? I go to public comment and I go, Kim Jones, District 12. Mm -hmm. uh, you're my commissioner. Listen, I have uh, how much money is allocated in the budget for youth program services? Mm -hmm. Oh, we have 1.7 million allocated for youth program services. Okay, great. Can I get your card after this meeting because I have a program I need to fund? I'm gonna need around $100,000 in order to fund the programming. I'm also gonna need you to put me in a room with stakeholders that can support my services. Okay. Is that easy? It's that fucking easy. Oh my goodness. Where's my next commissioner meeting? It's that easy. 
If you have a legitimate 501c3, a legitimate business that is registered in a state, um, registered in the county of the state for the council, first of all, your city council got a budget, mm -hmm. your commissioners got a budget, your state reps got a budget, your state senators got a budget. You know how you get the money from the budget? Get to know them. <laughs> Go down there and talk to them. Network. If I if I'm the if I have forty million dollars allocated in my budget for housing programs, politicians don't create programs. Mm -hmm. They don't do programs. Mm -hmm. They fund programs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I got an organization that deals in getting people first time home buyer. All I got to do is go down there to the commission meeting, to the state rep meeting, to the city council meeting to see what they have in the budget line for housing programs and then figure out how I apply for that grant. These are all grants. This mm. ain't money you got to give back because it's your money. It's your eyelash money, your lipstick money, your coffee money. All I got to do is go down there, apply for it, meet all the qualifications. Then when, they're, when, when, when commissioners and all of them are running for office and they're standing up there saying, we did six programs for youth, we created housing in our community, we did a cleanup program, they didn't create one of those programs. They're rattling off the programs they funded. Mm. So the money is there. The money is there. The money, but the other problem too, Kim, is making sure that folks are even off work. You know, so many people have to work two, three, four jobs just to survive, right? We have to make the information bite size. Mm -hmm. That's why my video went viral because it was six minutes. Mm -hmm. People ain't got attention span now to sit and listen to a forty-five nope. minute lecture. Nope. Everybody needs to be getting together, forming small political packs, about ten of the, their best and brightest in their community, and getting together. And y'all, first of all, pick one of y'all that's gonna run. One of y'all going to run for commissioner. Y'all going to put all of y'all engine behind that person because now the person who controls the budget is your buddy. Mm -hmm. And, and then boy, that's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. <laughs> and so now y'all put that together. Y'all get y'all person in office. And then y'all decide when it's something that's bothering y'all. Okay, you grew up in Bankhead. So now you look at Bankhead and, and, and it's getting ready to get gentrified and you have to start thinking strategically. How am I going to prevent my neighborhood from getting gentrified? Well, the first thing is most of the homeowners are seniors. Boom. I need to talk to the, I need to get the city councilman for this area. I need to get the county commissioner for this area. I need to get the state rep for this area. And I need them to get together and one of them to write a piece of policy that says we are going to do a tax hold for our legacy residents so that people who are above a certain age, we could say 65, mm -hmm. will have their, their tax rate frozen so that there won't be an increase. And as full wraparound services for them, we're going to have city-provided um, services that are going to cut their grass and do upkeep on their house. Wait a minute, but how did you learn all this, Kim? By just showing up. By going and sitting, like literally just. What made like, you decide to go and show up, though? You got to have something that's going to make. If you listen, if you're not literate on this and mm -hmm. you don't know anything about this, I mean, think about it. I don't even know if most parents even go to the school board meetings, which they right? should, because there's a lot happening down there at the school board meeting. I go to those too. Yeah. Okay, so you have kids. Mm -hmm. How many you have? Just one, sixteen year old. Okay, and so you seem like you're very politically charged. Mm -hmm. How did you become? 
politically charged. Everybody from Chicago is, right? Because that's where our boy Obama's yeah, from. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's part of the culture in Chicago. Okay. Because you grow up knowing your alderman and you know who they are. Like, I, my, my alderman from my neighborhood, I grew up in the 34th Ward my entirety of my childhood. And see, there's no aldermans anywhere else but Chicago, yeah. right? The only way I even Alderman knew, Davis from Good Time. That's right. <laughs> I was like, what is an alderman? And I always wanted to know why I didn't have an alderman. But alderman... It's just a city councilman. But he was yeah. really involved he was going to see the yeah. family. He knew James. He yeah. knew Flo. He just was spending time with the family, right? Yeah, they, but, was, they were shady, but they were impactful. Yeah, but that's a lot in politics anyway. The shade is yeah. there, right? Yeah, but they were impactful. My my alderman in my neighborhood that I grew up in was in the 34th Ward was Alderman Lemuel Austin. And as a child, I knew that, that Lemuel Austin was my alderman because I was on his cheerleading team. He had the Alderman Austin cheerleaders that whenever he did a rally or an event, he had about 30 young women who had got us uniforms. He used to give us an award ceremony. We used to get, I still got my trophies. I got my trophies <laughs> at the house from the Alderman Austin cheerleaders. Uh -huh. And guess what? He taught us one of the things that he would make sure we understood is that we understood civics. Mm. And he, he would give us pizza parties and do all these things to engage us. That's now, amazing. I mean, he was, cut, he was cut from a different cough. He was a good man. Mm -hmm. But... Just the fact that people in this city, but to, to, you know, I've lived in Atlanta now for over 20 years and how I really got involved in politics here is that I was in the streets first as an activist, you know, I was on the ground and then I started being like, okay, we're on the ground and we're fighting. And I started to realize that other pieces were being moved when we would be on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to know people who were moving the pieces and got engaged and understand what those pieces do, then I had no choice but to get engaged. You know, one of my favorite cases to talk about, because people always love to say to me, people who ain't going to do shit for the record, ain't going to do a, ain't going to bust a grape, but mm -hmm. they got all the opinion. They get all the dopamine in the world from talking about what everybody else is doing wrong. Whenever people approach me and they say to me, I'm tired of all this march. Well, first of all, you ain't marched, mm -hmm. so you ain't tired of it because mm -hmm. you ain't marched. You ain't did one. nothing, you right? You ain't did nothing. So don't tell me you tired of it and you haven't done it. But they'll say, I'm tired of all this marching and not doing anything. Ahmaud Aubrey's case was closed. His case was closed. They considered it an okay killed. Mm -hmm. It was the activists that went down there, people like Queen Yanajaha and, and, and um, 19 Keys and all of them that went down there. I mean, because they went down to, to Brunswick deep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They went down to Brunswick super, 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 super deep and then brought attention back to the case. That's what the marching did. Mm -hmm. When it brought attention back to the case, then it activated the Voting Rights Act, act activists. So then what the voting rights activists realized is, okay, we have to affect the jury pool. Because mm. keep in mind, the jury rolls is pulled from the voter rolls. If you're not registered to vote, then you won't get called for jury duty. So half of the time, I'm telling people to register to vote. I don't even care if you go down there and vote. Register to vote so you can be in the jury pool because we need more of us on the you, jury. I get so annoyed when I get that call for about that little note. For yes. the jury. But we gotta go because we're not sitting Girl, in those listen, booths. you goody two shoes on everything. No, I'm, I, I try to be impactful. <laughs> I know, everything. I know, I know. <laughs> but you're right, we do. We can't complain when we get left out the equation and we're not out there doing it, right? We gotta participate. Yeah. We gotta be, we gotta have a voice. Yes. We gotta have a voice. We but let me to. ask you this then. So we talk about having a voice. Seriously, let's talk a little bit about this this Kyrie Irving situation. Oh, Kyrie, my baby. Yeah, and it's coming straight off of the heels of Kanye, right? Mm -hmm. 
so Kyrie and I, not a sports person, mm-hmm. but I knew about Kyrie from my son because my son bought some Kyrie's eights or something uh-huh. way back when he was little. Yeah. And I kept some, who is this Kyrie guy? I know Kobe. I know, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and But then through the years, I began to respect Kyrie for standing up against the masses and not letting people force him into something because of economic gain, right? Mm-hmm. He stood for his principles. Yeah. Um, you know, through COVID and he said, I'm not doing, you know, he stood for what he believed mm-hmm. in. I, I think, what do you think now about um, him, quote unquote, becoming canceled because he shared the link to Hebrews to slaves. Who he canceled by? Because black folks rocking with him. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. That's a good question. Um, Fonz and some of the other folks in um, the studio had mentioned to me the only people to get canceled is black people. They said white people don't get canceled. Is that true? I don't know if that's fully wholly true, but what happens is. Because uh, it's, it's white people that done got canceled. I mean, Johnny Depp was canceled for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was not until after he, although he is, he is the great, great, great grandchild of Elizabeth Keys, who was a black woman. So I don't know. That might be why. Well, I'm going to say this, though. When, <laughs> when you say who canceled him. No, let me say this, though. When you say. He's dipped in color. But let's say this, though. Kim- his grandma is a story I want to tell so bad. His grandma was a monster. Well, are you going to tell it? I'm going to try to. But look, when you say black people are still rocking with you, but let's be real. If you're not economically in power, black people can rock with you and you can still lose it all. Because it's buck breaking. Basically. It's modern day buck breaking. I mean, did I'm you... Did, this Negro out in front of everybody mm-hmm. all to remind all of y'all. And make a make a, a, a example out of you. Yeah. Stay in line. I'm, I'm Don't talk that empowerment stuff. Don't talk that. So that means... Here's what I say. My, my book, Why We Fly, is all about... Uh, I dedicated it to athlete activists, right? And it's mm-hmm. all about... It was inspired by the Kennesaw State cheerleaders who, you know, all took a knee and consolidated yep. with Cap and lost their scholarships. Mm-hmm. All got kicked off the cheerleading squad and lost their scholarship. They just... That happened in, like, 2017. They just settled their case this year. I wonder if they all went back somewhere and finished their... They went school. to other places, most of them, and finished degrees. Kennesaw State had the audacity to offer them to come there. The girls was like, girl... Get up out of here. But, but did you see Hebrews the Slave? Did you see the documentary? No, I didn't see it, but I'm also just... Like, here's my theory. Mm-hmm. He didn't make it. He didn't make it, and, and where, all he where, did was where tweet it for Amazon for selling it. Well, listen, I heard this. I saw this morning. There's a lot of um, pressure on Amazon now to try to remove it, but they said it's already who, who gonna pressure? Jeff who gonna Bezos? pressure? But also, you see Jeff, how much Jeff money they said he is made. The definition of who gonna check me, boo? Yeah. yeah. But he done made a lot of money since then because everybody done went. And I would like to record to like that I love Jay Bezos because I work for him at Audible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Look, don't let Kanye see you say that. Oh, Lord. Don't let Kanye hey, hear you. Kanye, if you can say what you want, I can say what I want. Hey, I'm like, this house way. We, we in the say what we want club. Listen, I've been canceled a bunch of times. I, what, what, I mean, how much more canceled could I be? I'm shadow banned within an inch of my life on every major Listen, platform. I didn't realize I was shadow banned until so I started really promoting one of my clients' um, philosophies on vitamin D mm-hmm. and, and um, its reaction to COVID-19. I kept wondering, why am I only getting one like? Yeah. How come people saying they don't see my posts? Was you a shadow man? Child. Your mouth must be too slick. Let me tell you. (laughs) 
I always tell people I am what you call a free Negro. I say what I want to say. I'm a free Negro. I don't say anything to try to hurt other people. I don't believe in hate speech. I do believe in truth speech. And I think what people, what bothered me was all this man said, Kyrie, was copy paste link watch this doc so guess what i went and watched it over the weekend actually watched it twice it was three hours long Mm -hmm. and i had to watch it twice because it was really an educational piece you had to really and i probably should have watched it maybe about two more times because the information was so rich in nature and it was so detailed that you would need to go and research the pieces in which they were presenting to you if you were really trying to understand all the dynamics of it. It was very well put together. It was an independent project. So this guy now is making bank. The, yeah. you okay? Because they were like, please keep talking about it. Keep me. talking about it. It was they originally said, launched in 2018. Yeah. But now they said it's making a lot of money. Because people are like, let me see. Listen, Fox News did a whole hit piece on me, and everybody thought I was going to be upset. And I was like, I'm about to watch my sales sheet tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm about to watch my sales sheet tomorrow. I'm going to be popping tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm about mm-hmm. to so you wanted to press. believe that some of some, <laughs> so you think some bad press. It's good press. All, bad, all press is good press. Well, girl, let me tell you. So I don't know if you know this yet, but I'm one of the... So yesterday they announced... Every time I get canceled, banned, talked about, I make a lot of money. Yesterday they announced nationally um, that the Casey Anthony documentary mm-hmm. is being released nationally. You know who Casey Anthony is, yes, right? Yes, the murder of children. Well, she was accused of murdering a child. Right. I am one of the executive producers for the documentary. Okay. I'm one of the executive producers for, I believe in journalistic abuse. And I have yet to say anything about it yet um, because of this whole cancel culture. I believe that there should be. You think they're going to cancel you for making a case? Child, I feel like this. Everybody should have the right to speak to share their opinion and also tell their truth. It's right. journalism. Yeah. But what it, it became the number one trending topic yesterday, right? That thing about to go up. Sis, I'm about to call you and borrow 12 Girl, let me tell you, they already said it was going, all the uh, execs and everybody was like, this is going to do some major numbers, this, is that. It's going to do stupid numbers. But let me tell you, I just know this cancel culture. You better cabbage patch yourself to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I was hiding under the blankets. Why are you expecting well answers from sick people? And I, you, you're right. You're right, Kim. I would just like to say that my mantra for life is fuck these people. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck these people. Yeah. Fuck these people. But see, we came up through a different era, though, Kim. <laughs> we came up doing an era where... We could say that. Yeah. We didn't have to worry about that. the cancel culture. Yeah. They didn't... I'm seeing these little young folks shutting folks down. Those people getting paid, though. Those people getting canceled. Kanye lost $2 billion in one day. He going to get it back. Yes, he is. He is. He going to get it back. Because, hey, listen, I stood with Megan when she first uh, started talking about getting shot in the foot, right? Oh, girl. So, <laughs> I, had done, I had done a panel with her. And mm-hmm. it was a dope panel. It was like me, her, Yar, Shahidi, uh, um, uh, uh, Dr. King, Dr. Bernice King, um, I can't even remember, Rhapsody. It was a whole bunch of people. She was good people. She was like, she was cool or whatever. I don't know. I personally will, you know, have margaritas together or whatever, but she was good people. So when she first came out, I was just like, yo, if that happened, it's just, that's why. It didn't make sense though. But then everybody was like, you are 
anti-black men because you said you was good with Kevin. I'm like, first of all, first of all, let's not cap like this nigga mm-hmm. is Kyrie Irving. Yeah, right. Please like, don't do that to him. Yeah, like yeah. let's not let's not let's not like go into this like he's a stand-up guy and we should <laughs> all just trust the integrity of his deliciosity. Like, mm-hmm. come on, let's be real. But it's like at the same time, like I met the chick, she was cool with me. That's my opinion. If y'all don't like it, like 5,000 people unfollow me that day. But for the 5,000 people who unfollow me, 9,000 people who stand with her followed me. Okay. I posted something one day that was like, we got to, as black people, we got to make better choices. I reposted a, 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 a graphic from a friend of mine who's a, a black Republican that I respect, that I've been able, I personally have been able to have healthy whole conversations with mm-hmm. the man. I reposted a thing he said about, you know, how we got to do better. He he made a graphic that was just like talking about how much the Jordans cost and then he compared it against how much an LLC cost and mm-hmm. went down this and was like, we got to do better. <coughs> Let me ask you this. Yeah, why did you just... Day too. Why... <coughs> Girl, you getting canceled all over the place. Because because my theory is fuck y'all. But why do you feel like you had to just reference that he was a black Republican? Because that's half of why people were mad. They were mad. But how do you know I'm not? But that's my point. You don't know anything about him. They mm-hmm. was just mad because he was a black Republican. But see, it they seems like have, I... They didn't have no other reason to have disdain for him other than that. As if though they so tied into the Democratic gang. Mm-hmm. That, like, they can't even, most people can't even, you know why I'm successful in, in the political world? Why? Because I take meetings on both sides. That's it. And I also believe that there's good on one side, bad on the other. I don't really, just for the record, I'm not a card-carrying Republican either. I am no, I'm not. I'm independent. I'm in, but let me just say this. I don't feel like I owe anybody any explanations as to how I choose to vote. I vote for what's right. Look at what they're doing to my brother, Killer Mike, right now. Look at what they're doing to my brother, Killer Mike, right now, who ain't did nothing but do stuff for black people. That's who it. Who ain't did nothing for stand-up for us. I watch, when I'm talking about the power that we have, that we're unaware that we have, I watch Killer Mike and 2 Chainz, which shout-out to 2 Chainz. 2 Chainz has done so many backdoor nice things for me that I didn't even know came from him, and I was just, they was like, yeah, Chainz did that. And I was like, I think I've had two conversations with this man, and both of them were like four sentences, but... I mean, but you must have been impressed. He must have been impressed by you. The amount of rappers I can name that have done things for me that I, if to say that we're friends would be a lie, mm-hmm. but they've done things that have supported my movement mm-hmm. and my verse is crazy from Dolph to Lil Baby to Trouble to Two Chains to Killer Mike to Diddy, like have held Diddy. My dude. Did, did he be loving on me so hard? I, I feel like Carisha. I'm like, we Okay, Carisha, please. Right. So so why <laughs> were you at the birthday party? I did not I ain't get invited to the birthday party though. Okay, so Sean. let me ask you this real quick. This is this, this 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 is not a this is off the politics. <laughs> But how do you feel about how Diddy is rolling with Carisha and all these other little... Do you think it's, it's just the way things are today? I like Carisha for him. Because you know Wait a minute. Carisha's like old enough to be his granddaughter, though, I right? know. Not his granddaughter. I mean... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> period. <laughs> but you know what? Here's here's what I'll say. I'm not saying that I'm, uh, I'm pro, you know, uh, these uh, boomers like and millennials. But here's what I will say is that I allow people to live in their individual truth. Mm-hmm. 
Diddy is still so youthful, so he big, is. so he's so, so dope, so dope, so relevant, yes. so full of love, so full of sparks, so full of energy. His 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 energy is still so wild and untamed that it makes sense to me. Not about not has nothing to do with age about being with a younger woman. It makes sense to me that he wants to match that wild energy that exists with him because he's not ready to sit at home. Most women no. Diddy's age, they're ready to sit at home and make some neck bones and cabbage. Right. Diddy not ready for that. Diddy's Diddy still in the streets. And but yeah. let me say this: I am happy to see Diddy smile yeah, again. He looks so happy. Oh, let me tell you something. That pain from Kim. Ooh, girl, that stuff broke it down all the way. Yeah. And I think it's not just her being gone. I think it's the life of regret, the things he didn't he was say, like she was the one. and the things he didn't say. Yeah. Yeah. And he has to, you know, his daughters are spitting images. Let me tell you. So I went a couple months ago. I went to Dallas Austin's daughter's wedding. Mm -hmm. I I love Ashley so much. She's, she's, you know, Dallas's only girl. So, you know, he went all out because that's his baby girl. Mm -hmm. But her husband, um, Julius, is the CEO of my nonprofit. And um, I went to their wedding. And so the, because, you know, Kim being who she was, she stepped in and she helped Dallas raise his daughter because he knew she knew he needed Okay, I was wondering about that. Yeah, she Because <coughs> I saw in. that he said some beautiful things about her. Yeah, so Dallas, um, so Kim was like a second, was like a mom to Dallas's daughter, Ashley. And um, so the twins were in the wedding. Ooh. But it was so dope because the twins were, the twins were in the wedding and Quincy was in the wedding. And then of course, Justin, um, and uh, what's the one that looked just just like Diddy? Chris, Christian. Christian. So <coughs> they all came to the wedding. Like, that Christian turned the wedding out. Like when his song came on, he put oh, he, you, he, he put he put it on for his sister. You know that's what I'm Diddy. Yeah, he's, he's that's Diddy, Diddy Jr. All day but doing it, a Diddy bop. Exactly, but it just showed me. That to me, like the love that they have for their god sister, like they were like, no, this is our sister, mm-hmm. this is our sister's wedding kind of thing. It to me, it was just like indicative of you could see the love of Kim in all of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. I've liked the way that Diddy has talked about it because to me, he doesn't talk about it in a regretful way of like, oh, I missed out. To me, I feel like he appreciates. Man, I just wish I had more time. No, I saw regret. I missed out. I let the one get away. I didn't do right by her. But they were still homie homies to the end. Yeah, but she was in pain. You can't tell me a woman that loves a man as much as she loved Diddy was okay with seeing him ride off into the sunset with Cassie, who, by the way, told him, deuces, as soon as she was gone and got me. Yeah, I mean, think about it though. I also love love because he put up two hundred billboards, Ciroc billboards with me. So I was oh, like to reflect okay. You you so you I you got some extra Ciroc at the house. I love love. <laughs> no, no, seriously though, let me tell you something. I love Diddy. I've always said, and listen, let me tell you how I got into this game. So let me give it to you about Diddy. Yeah. I was always a huge fan of Bad Boy growing up, right? And when I was in college, my dream job was A&R. Yeah. I didn't know nothing about publicity and all that because where I grew up from, I didn't know any other publicists yeah. and stuff. I just knew I wanted to do A&R. And then 
I started just saying, okay, I need to, you know, go into corporate America, do da 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 da. And, I, and then I went on into corporate, and I just thought my life in the entertainment industry was going to be, you know, completely gone. But I wanted to do A and R because I wanted to work for Bad Boy. Yeah. And then finally, when I made that turn and left corporate and started my own, I always said I am eventually going to work with Diddy. Yeah. I am, and I am saying that I know that eventually Diddy and I, Diddy and I have the same freaking work ethic. Yeah, he's he's like MC Don't Sleep and, and won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop, won't stop. I love him so much. Listen, I have never met Diddy in person. I never have had a phone conversation with him. We've never crossed paths. He's never done. Anything. But he put you up on two hundred billboards. He put me up on two hundred bill Ciroc billboards. <clears throat> he made sure that I was a representative voice. He makes sure that I'm a representative voice on Revolt TV. Like so, you know, it's just crazy. I now have a really good re- relationship with Corey, who runs you know Daily On and Ciroc, mm-hmm. Ciroc and stuff like that. But the the interesting thing about me is that right like how did you catch his attention was it the it viral was video. video it was a video and after that revolt started calling me to do stuff and then he did this campaign um, with the Ciroc videos and it was like me Amanda Seals and a whole bunch of people that he did these these billboards that is so for. dope Kim he, he did these billboards for it and he would he pulled quotes not even from my speech but quotes of things I said after that. And put them on all these billboards. I mean, people would drive by like bus stop signs and pe- and huge billboards on the side of the highway and be like, I just saw a different Ciroc video, another Ciroc, um, or Ciroc billboard. And it was different quotes in different cities. And I'm just like, the fact that he has been so impactful on my life and, and intentionally pushed me forward, but has never met me a day in his life, never felt the need to reach out to me and be like, yeah, welcome. Mm-hmm. Nothing just like he did it. It's what he wanted to do. And he moved on. But you know what? That's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And they all are like that. Like, a lot of the people who have done stuff for my org, for my organization, the People's Uprising and all of that, I, like, Lil Baby has done so much for our organization, the People's Uprising. I've never met Lil Baby in person. Never, never, never met Lil Baby in person, but he's done a ton for my organization. Never. I've had, like I said, I've had two conversations with 2 Chains, and he's the reason why... My my interview on the Breakfast Club got extended. Like, it's just it's it's just amazing to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? I have a really me and Dolph found out a few years ago on a video shoot that we were cousins. Oh wow! Yeah, wasn't that terrible? Yeah, man. And it's like it's funny because I knew Mia, his life partner. I knew her from the front lines because of her work that she does with Black Men Deserve to Grow Old. Mm-hmm. But I never made the connection that she was Dolph's Mia until Dolph passed. And so I would be like at protests and stuff, and they would see us on live, and like you know, like Mia would pull up and bring coffee for everybody outside and stuff like that. And it's like all these people do all this work, and man, they don't they don't ask for no credit. They don't ask to have a conversation with me. They don't ask to do anything. So that's why, you know, I'm little I'm little protective of some of them because I'm like, if they're doing this much for me, and I ain't never met a group of them a day in my life, what are they doing for the people that they have met? Who else like me are they doing mm-hmm. work for? Because, you know, people are a little scared of me. I'm not, like, this is no shade to her because I'm uh, 
I love her. Like, I'm not like Angela Raya, one of them, where it's like I'm a party darling and it's comfortable and safe to be associated with me. It's not comfortable. Keep in mind, I'm the woman who told them mm-hmm. to burn the country down. Mm-hmm. So it's not safe to be associated with me. It's not mm-hmm. comfortable to be associated with me because they know I'll get on live and black out. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, like, really hold people accountable. And even people that I feel are, are doing well, I'll hold them accountable and tell them how they can do better. So it's not convenient to have me in certain spaces. It's not, you know, they've had, they had me on MSNBC and all that stuff in the beginning, but then when they still really started unraveling my ideology, they started being like, okay, I, that was good for that moment, but this is not someone we want as a consistent pundit. It's a lot of us like that. Me, Gary Chambers, when we all went viral, they was all on us. And then they realized our real ideology and they started being like, oh, I'm back <coughs> a little bit. They said she's not safe. I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of us that are not safe, which is why we're shadow banned. I got 220,000 followers on Instagram. If I go live, 10 people are watching. I got 75,000 followers on TikTok, and my views get like 100. My videos get like 100 views. But see, this is why I hate this cancel yeah. culture, right? Yeah. I hate it. But I also tell people, too, you can't rely on the social media mm-hmm. to be your only way of communicating with the masses. Because when they shut you down on that, then what else will you have, right? Yeah. Um, and I have the youth. They love me. I mean, I just, I just tell. Well, you know what? I can see why. Because let me tell you something about the youth. People talk a lot of smack about the youth. But what I would tell you is that they're fearless. Fearless. And they don't take no mess. And, and when they want to get something done, they get something done. It's funny. I pre- Shout out to Mina Tarabi, who works um, in Councilman Antonio Lewis's office. And shout out to Antonio, who be up there at City Council causing a ruckus. He, Antonio Lewis be up there, a one-man band. Nobody standing with him. He going to stand on the truth on his own. If you don't like him, they've tried to quiet him so many times, but he going to do what he do. Shouts out to Antonio. Antonio is a frontliner that got that slipped in there and got elected, and it's mm-hmm. killing him. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's killing him because he giving us all the game, the secrets. Mm. He filling seats. <laughs> they don't like Antonio. Y'all better vote for my brother to get back in. <laughs> he up in there causing a massive disruption to city council in Atlanta. But... Mina Tarabi, who um, who works for him today, if y'all go on her Twitter, one of the things that Mina did today is that after the election last night, she shouted out all of the, the workers that we all know from the front line who are actually doing the real work. Mm. She was like, because y'all like the celebrity of it all. Y'all talk about the organizations that y'all know, big names. And she was like, I'm going to shout out the people that really do the work. And one of the things that she shouted out was um, my organization, um, the uh, the People's Uprising, led by our fearless leader. Our CEO is 26 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, our fearless leader and um, Julius Thomas, who married Ashley, Dallas's mm-hmm. daughter. Um, we held, a, we held a, a, a Vote Early concert, and we got Gucci to headline. Okay, wait a minute. Did he sing Lemonade? He did. Yes. So we got Gucci. We got Gucci to headline a free concert. We gave away 4,000 tickets, which means those 4,000 young people had to go early vote. You couldn't buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. There was no purchase of tickets. Mm-hmm. We gave away 4,000 tickets of young people that had to early vote. I think about 2,500 of them actually showed up. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. When they got the ticket, they had to have early voted, show proof that they early voted in order to purchase the ticket. And this is the problem with both parties, Right. Here we have thousands of young people in the room. We had Amaretta, we had Gucci, we had T.I. son, Damani. We had all these people on the stage. We did a um, American Idol um, style contest before the concert. 
with students from Georgia State, Clark, Spelman, all of that. We had a panel of amazing judges. We had Ray Daniels, Zach Wallace, um, Jay from One Music Fest. Shout out to Jay, who was our mentor on this project. And we had all the, they, they got, the winners got to go have a session with Dallas. Like all of this stuff, we had free, we had pizza to the polls there. They got free gift bags. We had all of this water there. I'm talking about, it was a music festival mm-hmm. that was completely free for young people wow. that early voted. <clears throat> Amazing. And the old guard on either side, it was nonpartisan. So if you're Republican or Democrat, you could come. The old guard, all of them decided to have events on the same night as our event. Why would you not show up and talk to the young people <clears throat> that are here for a vote? They don't, festival? but you know what it is. They don't value. They don't value them. And guess what the young people told them last night? What? I don't value you either. Mm-hmm. You don't value me, I don't value you. The largest voting pool this session was Z. And y'all didn't talk to them at all. That's why you lost, sucker. Mm. Wow. Deep. They ain't paying attention. Because if they were paying attention to the trends, they would have saw the 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 population that got Obama into office. Young people. <clears throat> young people. Every movement was started by young people. People our age have made too much money to be radical. Mm-hmm. You want radical change? Put it in the hand of young people. Mm-hmm. They have shit to lose. They don't own shit. Mm-hmm. What do they have to lose? Mm-hmm. Only thing they gotta lose is the pillow in their mama's house. That's it. That's it. I, I mean, we we look at it when you when you have extreme success, they will buck break you. Mm-hmm. You have something to lose. But you know what? That again takes me back to my boy Kanye. I don't agree. Let me say this. Let me preference. I do not agree with the terms of everything that Kanye has said. But what I do admire is that he is not afraid to say how he feels at the risk of losing it all. And um, he believes what he believes, and he stands by it. And I can't do anything but respect a person that stands by what they believe. Listen, I always tell people, truthfully, I'm probably, I'm an independent, but I'm probably more of a libertarian at heart. And what I mean by that is I just... I don't give a fuck what somebody does. I want the government and corporate America out of my business. Out. Out of my bedroom, out of my pocket, out of my bank, out of my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Government is too big. We have given them too much power with our money, and we around here like some old weak-ass bitches Mm. begging them to stop misbehaving. When the truth of the matter is you have power. And the reason people don't recognize they have power is because of all the false prophets that they keep listening to that give them dopamine by going off, telling them, these folks going to do whatever these folks want to do. All you're doing is creating generations of hopelessness, and a hopeless man won't move. I don't have to have shackles mm-hmm. on your body anymore. If mm-hmm. I have shackles on your fucking mind, mind, if I can convince you that you have zero power, that's the fucking shackle. So stop there. Let's go back to a statement that Kanye made. One of the statements that he made was that slavery was a choice. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? Is what's happening to him a choice? Does he choose that? But did, so yeah, he did choose it. He chose it. 
because he knew the repercussions of speaking out. He knew the consequences. What I'm is, does he control the lashes he's getting? But he knew that they were coming. But does he control those lashes? Doesn't matter about controlling. That's the part that matters. But this is the part. <laughs> but the choice, the choice of what he's trying to say, though, Kim, is that if we were on the plantation and there's oh, a hundred. have a choice. There was 150 slaves. Yes. Right. You, but not only that, just yes. that, but 150 and you had two plantation owners. 150 slaves could not overtake the two plantation owners? No, and I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Because what they had in their, in their advantage is the same thing they got in their advantage right now. The gun? No, the system. Mm-hmm. Because if I took the 150 of us, took over the plantation... And kill the two plantation owners. They'll all be dead next week. They'll be dead tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They'll be dead tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The slave catchers, the families of those families, all of the white people around them that had the guns that they didn't have, the roads they'd have to travel, the the places they'd have to hide, dead, 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 dead. You can't How did Harriet Tubman make it? In secret. Mm-hmm. And she died a broken heart and broke, destitute. Most people don't even talk about how Harriet died. But what I enjoy I having... Mean, I get the ideology of what he's saying. Right. But what I'm saying is the same thing I'm saying. I'm, I don't need no more lemon drops. <laughs> um, I, I understand theoretically what he's saying of like, it's 150 of y'all. Mm-hmm. They did it in Haiti. They mm-hmm. did it in Brazil. They did it in these other places. Uh, these people were indigenous to that land. So if I'm indigenous to this land and you whip me, kill me, do whatever you got to do to me, man, I know these jungles better than you do. You'll never find me. Mm-hmm. You'll never find me mm-hmm. in Brazil. You'll mm-hmm. never find me in Haiti. I mean, you could talk about Gaspar Younger in Mexico who ran a, the biggest maroon colony in the 1400s. Who, he was a he was an African prince, and, and what what people don't know about African armies is what do princes do? Princes are generals. Princes run armies. Mm-hmm. So Gaspar Younger, when they brought him over to Mexico, he was like, yeah, I'm, "What I'm not gonna do is this, whatever this is y'all got going on." Mm-hmm. He had, he formed a maroon com, com, a maroon colony with Africans who came over with him and in people indigenous to that land in Mexico, and he held off the Spanish for thirty years. Mm. 30 years, mm-hmm. he held off the Spanish. He whooped the Spanish so bad, they finally just conceded and was like, all right, Gaspar, dang, what you want? Because he he just kept busting them to the white meat. They couldn't beat him because he was with the indigenous people of that land, and he knew how to hide. He knew how to go up into those mountains and hide. He would take their stuff, steal their stuff, hide in the mountains, come back down, whoop their ass, do it again. He did it for 30 years, so they finally just conceded and said, what do you want? He said, I want this land for my people, and I want y'all to leave us alone. And right now, if you go to Veracruz, New Mexico, you can go and live in the town of Younger and ain't shit there but black people. Damn. And we don't, that's the thing. We don't even know. We don't know that because you want, if you, <coughs> you want to get on the, it's a choice. Yeah, what's it? what were you about to say? We don't know that shit because it's a choice. Okay. The same people who be like, I understand what Kanye's saying, it's the same, <coughs> it's a choice. It's the same kids that people don't, don't drop their kids off at the library. It's the same people that don't read 45 minutes with their kids at night. It's the same people that don't say, we're going to sit and we're going to watch a documentary together as a family, and then we're going to have a conversation behind <coughs> it again. 
And this is my last thought. Social media has given too much dopamine from getting attention from being negative. If you actually want to get your ass up and do something, you get shadow banned like me. You get shut down like Killer Mike. You get told to be quiet and sit back like Gary Chambers. So all the people who get on the internet all day, every day, telling me how and where to do my job as a social justice activist, my question is, what are you doing and not in the larger sense? What are you doing in your house? Because I'm telling you, my 16-year-old son can educate a room. Okay, okay. Let me ask you this before as we close. Hip hop head to the dark. Ah, top five. My top five. Top five. Real fast. My my top five is gonna be Rakim. Hey, you my girl. Okay, okay. Because nobody else said Rakim. Okay, Rakim. My top five is definitely gonna be Rakim, Big L, Biggie. Hey. Drake. All right. MC Light. Girl, you the first one who really gave some respect to the women, putting the respect on the women's name. Because MC Light was one of the dopest MCs of all. Hey, that you served the spa. No, how about Paper Thin? I mean, her flow was just so effortlessly, flawlessly the bomb. Rakim changed the way we flowed. Rakim took us from the <laughs> yeah to the flow that we have, and Light did the same thing Dang. for the female. And I got to give an honorable mention to Lil' Kim because we got the same name, Kimberly Jones. And the one thing I'll tell you about Kim, she did go all the way to the right, but what Kim did was feminize the Every woman MC. rapper that's out here with, because, with colorful rigs and looking well, or just Or just Kim. looking cute because yeah. before Kim, if you were a female like rapper, dudes. you had to be a dude. Yeah. She made it okay to be a woman. She went all the way to the right, but I think what she did was uh, introduce femininity into Without the game. Question. Into the game. Girl, this has been a bomb <laughs> time with you. I am so I missed you. I missed you too, girl. <laughs> You just brought it all the way together, girl. But I am so glad that the audience was able to experience you, too. They better get themselves some of them T-shirts. What's the website again? It's www.kimjoneswrites.com. That's right. And guess what, y'all? I'm going to see you next time on Cornology. You ain't getting no money if you're constantly worried about what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to closing the deal, I get it done every single one.